I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Oh, they have a whole nother hole just for peeing. I thought it was all in that one. Oh, oh, hello. Uh, welcome to the Leaves of Glen Mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to record a podcast in a big, beautiful mansion and not in my mouse-infested basement. Uh, I also read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, we're going to read The Hound of the Baskervilles by Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, you want to learn a little bit about the author? Ah, sure. Sir Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle uh, was born the 22nd of May, 1859, and died the 7th of July, 1930. He was a British writer and a physician. Uh, he created the character Sherlock Holmes in 1887 for A Study in Scarlet, the first of four novels and 56 short stories about Holmes and Dr. Watson. There's a lot of short stories about just two people. You think everyone gets tired of writing about it? Well, we'll never find out. He's dead. The Sherlock Holmes stories are milestones in the field of crime fiction. Doyle was a prolific writer. Other than the Holmes stories, his works include, ooh, fantasy ah, and science fiction stories about Professor Challenger and humorous stories about the Napoleonic soldier Brigadier Gerard, as well as plays, romances, poetry, nonfiction, and historical novels. One of Doyle's earliest short stories, uh, J. Habakkuk, Jepson's Statement in 1884 helped to popularize the mystery of the Mary Celeste. Want to learn a little bit about this book? Sure, you want to learn a little bit about this book. Uh, the Howl of the Baskervilles is the third of four crime novels written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, featuring the detective Sherlock Holmes. Originally serialized in the uh, Strand magazine uh, from August 1901 to April 1902, and largely set in the Dartmoor, Devon, in England's West County, and tells the story of an attempted murder uh, inspired by the legend of a fearsome, diabolical hound of supernatural origin. Oh, Sherlock Holmes and his companion, Dr. Watson, investigate the case. Uh, this was the first appearance of Holmes since his apparent death in the final problem. Uh, and the success of the Hound of Baskervilles led to the character's eventual revival. So, want to learn about that death? Sure. It's, there's a ton of information about this guy. I don't have to struggle to find fun facts about him. Uh, in 1893, Arthur Conan Doyle famously killed off Sherlock Holmes in the story, The Final Problem. Conan Doyle had grown tired of, uh, of writing about Sherlock Holmes and wanted to focus on other aspects of his writing career. Oh, so that answers my question from earlier. He did hate it. In the story, Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty... Oh, that's right, he had an arch nemesis, Moriarty. Battle uh, for one last time and fall off a waterfall together. That's beautiful. What Conan Doyle didn't anticipate was the public backlash to the decision. After mounting pressure from the public, Conan Doyle brought the character back nearly ten years later. He uh, first brought him back in 1901 in The Hound of the Baskervilles, though. Uh, this was a prequel. The character was officially resurrected in 1903 in The Return of Sherlock Holmes. Well, with that, uh, 
Damn it, the grandfather clock hasn't gone off yet. How much time is there even left? Ah, there's a ton. That sucks. Why am I reading this book? Well, I haven't read a, a whole book book in a while, and so I thought, this one seems kind of short. I could do this, uh, you know, in a handful of episodes. So I decided to do that. Uh, why else? What else is going on in my life? Nothing. None of it's your business. I have nothing else going on in my life that you need to be concerned about. I got kids, I got a dog, and I wake up in the morning and I do the same damn thing every day. Get the kids ready for school. Get the dog outside so it can pee and poop. And then I take the, come back, and then I, the dog's still there. And I'm like, what? And then it's just looking at me. And I'm like, you want another treat? Will that make you go away? And then the dog likes that. And then he goes off and he naps for a while. And he farts a lot. All he does is fart a ton. I suspect it's all the treats I'm giving him, but he doesn't stop, so that terrifies me because I keep thinking he pooped in the house, and surprisingly enough, he does poop in the house. Kind of a lot. He does it all the damn time, and I can't figure out how to get him to realize to do it when I take him outside. Ugh. The whole dog ownership thing is a pile of shit, but, uh, you know, he's a cute little guy. Uh, he's, he's just a good guy, just a nice person, so I'm glad I have the house. Oh, thank God, I was running out of stuff to say. Well, with that, let's get into the first couple chapters of The Hound of the Baskervilles. Chapter 1. Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I didn't fart. That's my chair. Okay, if you hear that sound, I'm not farting on the show. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, ah, who is usually very late in the mornings, say upon those infrequent occasions when he was up all night, was seated at the breakfast table. Oh, I stood on the hearth rug and picked up the stick which our visitor had left behind him the night before. Oh, it was a, a fine... A thick piece of wood, bulbous-headed, of course, the sort that was known as the Penang Lawyer. Oh, just under the head was a broad silver band, nearly a oh, uh, eight, uh, inch cross, to, to James Mortimer, M.R.C.S., from his friends of the C.C.H., was engraved upon it with the date, 1884. It was just such a stick as the old-fashioned family practitioner used to carry, dignified and solid and reassuring. Uh, well, uh, Watson, uh, what do you make of it? Holmes was sitting with his back to me, and I had given him no sign of my occupation. Uh, how do you know what I was doing? I believe you have, you have eyes. Eyes in the back of your head. I have at least a, a well-polished silver-plated coffee pot ah, in front of me, he said. Uh, but tell me, Watson, what do you make of our visitor's stick? Since we have been so unfortunate to miss him and have no notion of his errand, his accidental souvenir becomes important. Oh, let me hear you reconstruct the man by an examination of it. I uh, think, said I, following as far as I could the methods of my companion, that Dr. Mortimer is a successful elderly medical man, uh, well esteemed since those who know him give him this mark of their appreciation. Uh, good, said Holmes. Excellent. I also uh, think that the probability is in favor of his being a country practitioner who does a great deal of visiting on foot. Oh, why so? Ah, because this stick, though originally very handsome, uh, one has been so knocked about that I can hardly imagine a town practitioner carrying it. Ah, the thick iron ferrule is uh, worn down. 
So is it evident that it's a, it has done a great amount of walking with it. Ah, perfectly sound, said Holmes. And then again, there is the friends of the CCH. I should guess that that to be something, uh, to, the, to, to be the something hunt. Nah, I screwed that up. The local hunt to whose members he has possibly given some surgical assistance and which made him a small presentation in return. Really, Watson, you excel yourself, said Holmes, pushing back his chair and lighting a cigarette. I am bound to say that in all the accounts in which you have been so good as to give of my own small achievements, you have habitually underrated your own abilities. It may be that you are not yourself luminous, but you're a conductor of light. Uh, some people, without possessing a genius, have a remarkable power of stimulating it. I confess, my dear fellow, that I am very much in your debt. Are they going to kiss? He had never said as much before, but I admit that this word's given me a keen pleasure, for I had often been piqued by his indifference to my admiration and to the attempts which I had made to give publicly uh, to his methods. I was proud, too, to think that I had so far mastered his system as to apply it in a way which earned his approval. But now I took the stick from my hands and examined it for a few minutes uh, with, his, with, his, with his naked eyes. Then, with an expression of interest, he laid down his cigarette, and carrying uh, the cane to the window, he looked it over again with a convex lens. Interesting, though, elementary, I said as he returned his favorite corner of the, the settee. Burp. There are certainly one or two indications upon the stick. Gives me the basis of several deductions. Has uh, anything escaped me? I asked with some self-importance. Oh, I trust there's nothing of consequence which I have overlooked. I'm afraid, uh, I, dear Watson, that your most of your conclusions were erroneous. Uh, when I said that you stimulated me, I meant to be frank that in noting your facilities, I was occasionally guided toward the truth. Not that you are entirely wrong in this instance. The man is certainly a country practitioner. And he walks a good deal. Then I was right to that extent. Well, that was all. No, no, my dear Watson, not all. Uh, by no means all. I would suggest, for example, that a presentation to a doctor is more likely to come from a hospital uh, than from a hunt, and that when the initial CC are placed before the hospital, the words Charing Cross are naturally suggest themselves. Oh, you may be right. Oh, that probably lies in that direction. And if we take this as a working hypothesis, we may have a fresh basis uh, for which to start our own construction of this unknown visitor. Well, then, supposing that CCH does stand for Charing Cross Hospital, uh, what further inferences may we draw? Or do you suggest themselves? You know my methods. Apply them. I can only think of the obvious conclusion that the man has practiced in town uh, before going to the country. And I think that we might venture a little farther than this. Look at it in this light. On what occasion would it be most probable that such a presentation would be made? Uh, when would his friends unite to give him a pledge of their goodwill? Obviously, at the moment when Dr. Mortimer withdrew from the service of the hospital in order to start a practice for himself. Oh, we know that there's been a presentation. We believe that there's been a change from a town hospital to a country practice. Is it then stretching our inference too far to say that the presentation was on the occasion of the change? Ah, it certainly seems probable. Now, you will observe that he could not have been on the staff of the hospital, since only a man, well established in a London practice, could hold such a position. Uh, and what, uh, such a one would not drift into the country. What was he, then? If he was in the hospital, and yet not on the staff, uh, he could only have been a, a house surgeon, or a or, 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 or house uh, physician, little more than a senior student. 
And he left five years ago. Oh, the date is on the stick. So your grave, middle-aged family practitioner vanishes into thin air. My dear Watson, and there emerges a young fellow under 30, amiable, unambitious, absent-minded, and the professor of a favorite dog, which I should describe roughly as being larger than a terrier, nah, and smaller than a mastiff. Well, after incredulously, Sherlock Holmes leaned back in a settee and blew little wavering rings of smoke up to the ceiling. And as to, as to the latter part, oh, I have no means of checking you, said I, but at least it's not difficult to find out a few particulars about the man's uh, age uh, and professional career. For my small medical shelf, I took down the medical directory and turned up the name. There were several Mortimers, but only one who could be our visitor. I read his record aloud. Mortimer James, MRCS, 1882. Grimpen, Dartmoor, Devon, house surgeon from 1882 to 1884. Uh, at Cherry Cross Hospital. Why would you have a book like this? Winner of the Jackson Prize <laughs> for comparative pathology and an essay entitled, Is Disease a Reversion? Corresponding member of the Swedish Pathological Society, author of Some Freaks of Avatism, Lancet, 1882. Uh, Do We Progress? Journal of Psychology, March, 1883. Medical uh, officer for the parishes of Grimpen, Thorsley, and High Barrel. You can hear my kids are home and they're making a ton of noise right now. That's obnoxious. No mention of that lo- You can hear the dog. No mention of that local hunt, Watson, said Holmes with a mischievous smile, but a country doctor, as you very astutely observed. I think that I am fairly justified in my inferences as to the adjectives. I said, uh, if I remember right, amiable, uh, unambitious, uh, absent-minded. It is my experience that it is only an amiable man in this world who receives testimonials. Only an unambitious one uh, who who abandons a London career for the country. And only an absent-minded one who leaves his stick uh, and not his visiting card after waiting an hour in your room. And the dog, I has been in the habit of carrying the stick behind his master, being a, a heavy stick for the dog, has held it tightly in the middle, and the marks of his teeth are very plainly visible. Bleh. The dog's jaw, as shown in the space between these marks, is too broad, in my opinion, uh, for a terrier, uh, but not broad enough for a mastiff. It may have been, uh, yes, by Jove, it is a curly-haired spaniel. He had risen and paced the room as he spoke, and now he halted in the recess of the window. There was such a ring of conviction in his voice that I glanced up in surprise. My dear fellow, how can you possibly be so sure of that? For the very simple reason that I see the dog himself on our very doorstep, and there is the ring of its owner. Don't move. I beg you, Watson. He is a professional brother of yours, and your presence may be of assistance to me now that the dramatic moment of fate, Watson, would you hear a, a step upon the stair which is walking into your life, and you know uh, not whether for good or ill. What does Dr. James Mortimer, the man of science, ask of Sherlock Holmes, the specialist in crime? Come in! The appearance of our visitor was a surprise to me since I had expected a typical country practitioner. Oh, he was very tall, a thin man, uh, long nose, like a beak, which jutted out between those two keen gray eyes set closely together and sparkling brightly from behind a a pair of gold-rimmed glasses. He's clad in a professional but rather slovenly fashion, for his frock coat was dingy, his trousers frayed, Uh, Though young, his long back was already bowed, and he walked with a forward thrust of the head and a general air of peering. Burp, 
benevolence as he entered his eyes fell upon the stick in Holmes' hand. Oh, he ran toward it with this explanation of joy. Oh, I'm so very glad, said he. I was not sure whether I had left it here or in the, in the shipping office. I would not lose that stick for the world. A presentation, I see, said Holmes. Yes, sir, from Charing Cross Hospital, uh, from one of the two friends there on the occasion of my marriage. Oh, dear, dear, that's bad, said Holmes, shaking his head. <laughs> Dr. Mortimer blinked through his glasses uh, in a mild astonishment. Why is that bad? Only that you have disparaged our little deductions. Your marriage, you say? Uh, yes, sir, I am married, and so left the hospital. And with all the hopes of a consulting practice, it was necessary to make a home of my own. Now, come, come, we're not so far wrong after all, said Holmes. And now, Dr. James Mortimer, Mr. Sir, Mr. A humble MRCS. And a man of precise mind, evidently. Ah, dabbler in science. Yeah, Mr. Holmes, I pick her up of shells on shores of a great unknown ocean. Well, that's very poignant. I presume that it is Mr. Sherlock Holmes who I am addressing and not... No, no, this is my friend, Dr. Watson. Oh, glad to meet you, sir. I have heard your name mentioned in connection uh, with that of your friend. You interest me very much, Mr. Holmes. I had hardly expected so... Dolchophilic. Dolchophilic. Wow. That's a big old long word. Let's see how you uh, pronounce that, buddy. Decios. Delicos. Delicos? What? D-O-L-I-C-H-O-C-E-P-H-A-L-I-C. That's just got the word phallic in it. So, uh, I didn't expect such a, a cock with a skull or so well-marked superorbital development. Would you have any objection to my running my finger along your paradal fissure? A cast of your skull, sir, until the original is available, uh, would be an, an ornament to any anthropological museum. It is not my intention to be fulsome, but I confess that I... <clears throat> covet your skull. Sherlock Holmes waved our strange visitor into a chair. Uh, you're an enthusiast in your line of thought, I perceive, sir, as I am in mine, said he. I observe from your forefinger uh, that you make your own cigarettes. Uh, have no hesitation in lighting one. Now the man drew out paper and tobacco and twirled up one another in a surprising dexterity. He had long, quivering fingers, as agile and restless as the antenna of an insect. Holmes, Holmes was silent. But his little darting glances showed me the interest which he took in our curious companion. I presume, sir, he said at last, that it was not eh, merely for the purpose of examining my skull that you have done me the honor to call here last night and again today. No, sir, no. I am happy to have the opportunity of doing that as well. I come to you, Mr. Holmes, because I recognize that I am myself an unpractical man, and because I am suddenly confronted with the most serious and extraordinary problem, recognizing, as I do, that you are the second highest expert in Europe. Indeed, sir. May I inquire who has the honor to be the first? Asked Holmes, with some asperity. To the man of precisely scientific mind, the work of Monsieur Bertillon must always appeal strongly. Then, had you not better consult him, I said, sir, to the precisely scientific mind, but as a practical man of affairs, it is acknowledged that you stand alone. I trust, sir, that you ha and I have not inadvertently, oh, just a little, said Holmes, I think, Dr. Mortimer, that you would wisely, if without more ado, that you would kindly tell me plainly what is the exact nature of the problem is in which you demand my assistance. Well, that's the end of that wordy chapter. Why don't we take a little break? 
Why don't we slip into something comfortable? I mean, you flew all the way here. It's about time you just relax. Get, get comfy. Let's go upstairs to the master bedroom. <laughs> Almost there. Here I am. Oh, oh, what the hell is that? You're dressed as a pie tin? It's weird. How's your body fit in that? Uh, okay, so your face is just poking out the bottom of the pie tin. You've spray painted it silver. Uh, well, I gotta admit, that's really creative. I don't know how it's supposed to be erotic. Uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that, but uh, you know what? I'm not going to tell you to change. In fact, I'm going to try and find uh, a new upcoming romance novel from Penguin Random House that can fit this uh, this weird, weird costume of yours. Oh, uh, here's one. It's called Sweet Love by Lauren Accardo. Uh, you want to hear about Sweet Love? Sure you do. That's the reason why you're here. Falling for your best friend might be a recipe for disaster. But this small town baker, see what I did there? How I tied your weird outfit into this book? Can't help jumping from her pie pan uh, into the fire. <laughs> Mila Bailey has always had a special talent for creating unique show-stopping pies. <laughs> but until her great aunt leaves her the entry fee to the Pine Ridge Spring Bake Off, she's only ever shared with them, uh, with the friends and family uh, thrust into the spotlight. Mila is determined to uh, prove to everyone, but mostly herself, <laughs> that she has what it takes to compete with top level bakers. Oh, there's only one flaw in her plan that she's not so half baked feelings that she's starting to develop for her best friend, Jared Kirkland, like the brand. Kirkland, the discount brand that sells everything from clothes to butter to dog food. Why would you fall for a man like that? He probably comes from the wealthy Kirkland family. Jared has always believed in Mila's gifts, but lately he's struggling not to fantasize about sampling more than just her spoon from the batter. <laughs> and <laughs> no matter how much he tries to tell himself that Mila is not for him, oh, his dreams have always reached beyond Pine Ridge. He can't deny the new spark between them. Mila embodies Pine Ridge, and Jared wants to break free. How could either of them move on knowing their love of their lives had been right under their noses all along? You can find this book, which seems to be the same theme of every single romance novel I read about, uh, where everyone's like, oh, turns out I shouldn't love this guy, but I do. Or, oh, it looks like we're supposed to pretend to be in love, but then they fall in love. Well, you can just buy another one, just like the rest of them, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop.org, uh, IndieBound, Powell's, Target, my favorite name, Books A Million. I should probably go to their website, just find out why they're called that. And also, of course, Walmart. Well, with that, I don't want to, uh, I can't make love to you in that weird tin outfit. I'm going to crumple it, and then I'm going to get cut somewhere, and it's going to be disturbing. You'll probably see me cry, which is not an erotic moment at all to watch me cry, because my face kind of gets all bunched up and wrinkly, like some kind of grape. All right, why don't we, uh, why don't you put your clothes back on, and uh, we'll go back downstairs and, uh, and read the next chapter of this book. Well, I hope you enjoy all the weird sounds happening in the background while I'm recording. That's my kids walking around on my super old floor over my head. 
of my mansion. There's many floors to my mansion. I'm not in my basement. Keep playing with this bit. Anyways, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a new experience for me. I don't know if I can get them to just stay still for an hour while I record. Doubt that's going to happen. God knows when that dog starts running around. There's no way that's going to help. Well, anyways, uh, just enjoy the ambiance. Chapter 2. The Curse of the Baskervilles. I have in my pocket a manuscript, said Dr. James Mortimer. I observed it as you entered the room, said Holmes. God, Holmes is insufferable. He's just an asshole. The guy's like, I got a manuscript in my pocket. He's like, I already knew that. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> it's an old manuscript. And I'm sure Holmes is going to be like, yep, I knew that too. Early 18th century, unless it's a forgery. Oh, how can you say that, sir? You have presented an inch or two of it to my... Oh, he did. He basically just stepped in and goes, yep. And he actually says the year that it came from. You have presented an inch or two of it to my examination all the time that you've been talking. Oh, it would be a poor expert who could not give the date of a document within a decade or so. You may possibly have read my little monograph upon the subject. I put that at 1730. The exact date... Burp is 1742, Dr. Mortimer drew from his breast pocket. The family paper is committed to my care by Sir Charles Baskerville, whose burp... Wow. Everything's falling apart on this episode. I got kids walking around, and I'm just burping up a storm over here like an idiot, uh, whose sudden and tragic death uh, some three months ago created so much excitement in Devonshire, I may say that I was his personal friend as well as his medical Attended. Oh, he's a strong-minded man, sir. Shrewd, practical, and uh, as unimaginative as I am myself. Who talks like this? I'm dumb as shit, just like him. <laughs> Who says that kind of thing? Yet he took this document very seriously, and his mind was prepared for such an end as he did eventually overtake him. Holmes stretched out his hand for the manuscript and flattened it upon his knee. You will observe, Watson, the alternative use of the long S and the short this is one of several indications which has enabled me to fix the date. I looked over his shoulder at the yellow paper and the faded script, and at the head was written, Baskerville Hall, and below the large scrawling figures, 1742. It appears to be a statement of some sort. Yes, it is a statement of a certain legend which runs in the Baskerville family, but I... But I understand that it is something more modern and practical upon which you wish to consult me. First, modern, a most practical pressing matter, which must be decided within, uh, ooh, uh, 24 hours. But the manuscript is short and intimately connected with the affair. Ah, uh, with your permission, I will read it to you. Holmes, lean back in his chair, place his fingertips together. Oh, like an 80s, uh, Wall Street movie where they sit there and put their hands together and make the pyramid of power. I closed his eyes with an air of resignation. Dr. Mortimer turned the manuscript to the light and read in a high, uh, crackling voice the following curious old-world narrative. Of the origin of the Hound of the Baskervilles, there have been many statements, yet as I come in direct line from Hugo Baskerville, <laughs> and as I uh, had the story from my father, who also had it from his, I have set it down with all belief that it occurred even as it was here set forth, and I would have you believe me, my sons, that the same justice which punishes sin may also uh, most graciously forgive it. It has no ban heavy, but by prayer and repentance it may be removed. 
learn then uh, from this story not to fear the fruits of the past, but uh, rather to circumspect uh, in the future uh, those foul passions whereby our family has suffered, not so grievously, but uh, again to be loosed on our undoing. Know then that in the time of the Great Rebellion, the history of which by the Lord Clarendon I was earnestly commend to your attention, this manor of Baskerville was held by Hugo of that name, nor can it be gainsaid, hmm? that he was the most wild, uh, profane, profane, and godless man. This, in truth, his neighbors might have pardoned, seeing that saints have never flourished in those parts, but there was in him a certain wanton and cruel humor which made his name uh, a byword through the West. Oh, a chance that this Hugo came to love, if indeed so dark a passion may be known under such a bright name, the daughter of a yeoman who's held lands near the Baskerville estate. Ah, but the young maiden, being discreet ha, and of good repute, uh, would ever avoid him, uh, for she feared his evil name. So it came to pass that one Michael Mass, this Hugo, what the heck's a Michael Mass? Is this some sort of loser's Christmas? That's a feast of St. Michael, September 29th. Well, I'm being a jerk. This Hugo, with a five or six of his idle and wicked companions, stole down upon the farm and carried off the maiden. Her father and brothers, being from home, as he knew well, when they had brought her to the hall, the maiden was placed in an upper chamber while Hugo and his friends sat down to a, a long carouse, as was their nightly custom. Now the poor lass upstairs was like to have her wits turned at the singing and shouting and terrible oaths which came up from, uh, from below, for they say that the words used by Hugo Baskerville when he was in wine were such as a, might blast the man who said them. Uh, at last, in the stress of her fear, she did, uh, which might have daunted the bravest, the most active man, for by the aid of the growth of the ivy, which covered, and still covers the south of the wall, came down from under the eaves. I like to imagine Watson at this point, waving his hand like, hurry the fuck up, wrap this up, come on, move along. So, homeward across the moor, there being three league, leagues betwixt the hall and her father's farm. Oh, a chance that some little time later, Hugo left the guest to carry food uh, and drink with other worse things, perchance, uh, to his captive, and so found the cage empty and the bird escaped. Then, as it would seem, he became as one uh, that half a devil for rushing down the stairs into the dining hall. He sprang upon the great table, flagons and trenchers flying before him, and he cried aloud before all the company that he, uh, that, uh, that he would that very night render his body and soul to the powers of evil if he might but overtake the wench. And while the revelers stood aghast at the fury of the man, or more wicked, or it may be more drunken than the rest, uh, cried out that they should put the hounds upon her. Whereat, Hugo ran from the house. No one says whereat anymore. I should start doing that in normal conversation. Crying to his grooms that they should saddle his mare and unkennel the pack. And giving the hounds a kerchief of the maids, he swung them in a line and so off full cry into the moonlight over the moor. Great. Now, for some space, the revelers stood agape. Yeah, we already know that. Unable to understand all that had been done in such haste, but a non... There, I gotta use that more often, too. Their bemused wits awoke to the nature of the deed which was like to be done upon the moor lands. Everything was now in an uproar, some calling for their pistols, uh, uh, some, some for, their, for their horses, and uh, uh, some for another... Uh, a flask of wine. That's just 
kind of exasperating the problem. But at length, some sense came back to their crazed minds, and then the whole of them, 13 in number, took horse and started uh, in, in pursuit. Oh, the moon shone clear above them, and they rode swiftly abreast, taking that course which the maid must need uh, have taken if she were to reach her own home. Oh, they'd gone a mile or two, and they passed one of the night shepherds upon the moorlands. And they cried to him to know if he had seen the hunt. And the man, as the story goes, was so crazed with fear that he could scarce speak. But at last he said that he had indeed seen the unhappy maiden with the, with the hounds upon her track. But I have seen more than that, he said, for Hugo Baskerville passed me upon a black mare, and there ran mute behind him such a, a hound of, of, of hell as God forbid should ever be at my heels. So the drunken squires cursed the shepherd and, uh, and rode onward, but soon their skins turned cold, Ooh, for there came a galloping across the moor, and the black mare dabbled with, uh, with a white froth, yeah, uh, went past with a trailing bridle, bridle, uh, bridle uh, and an empty saddle. Well, then the revelers rode close together, for a great fear was upon them, and they, they, still, they still followed over the moor, uh, though each had been alone, uh, would have been right glad to have turned his horse's head. Riding slowly in this fashion, they came at last upon the hounds. These, though known for their valor and their breed, were whimpering in a cluster at the head of the deep dip, or, uh, or goyle, as we call it, upon the moor, uh, some slinking away, uh, some with starting uh, hackles and staring eyes, gazing down at that narrow valley before them. The company had uh, come to a halt, uh, more sober men, as you may guess, than, uh, than when they started. <laughs> and then most of them would by no means advance, but three of them, the boldest, or it may be the most drunken, rode forward down the goyle. Now it opened into a broad space in which stood uh, one, uh, two of those great stones, still to be seen there, uh, which were set by a certain forgotten peoples in the days of old. The moon was shining bright upon the clearing, and there in the center lay the unhappy maid where she had fallen, dead of fear. Uh, and fatigue. But it was not the sight of her body, nor was it that of the body of Hugo Baskerville lying near her, which raised the hair upon the heads of these three daredevil roisters. But it was that, standing over Hugo and plucking at his throat, there stood a foul thing, a great black beast shaped like a hound. So that it probably just makes it a hound. Why would you say it's shaped like something? Oh yeah, I met this, uh, thing shaped like a man at the grocery store earlier, <laughs> yet larger than any hound that any mortal eye had resist, arrested upon. And even as they looked, the thing tore the throat out of Hugo. Baskerville, on which, as it turned out, blazing eyes and dripping jaws upon them, and the three shrieked uh, with fear uh, and, and rode for dear life, uh, still screaming, yeah, across the moor. Uh, one, it is said, uh, died that very night of what he, uh, what he had seen, uh, and the other uh, twain uh, were but broken men for the rest of their days. Oh, such is the tale, my sons, of the coming of the hound, which is said to have plagued the family so sorely ever since. Uh, if I have it set it down, because it's uh, what is clearly known, hath less terror than that which is but hinted at and guessed. Nor can it be denied that many of the family have been unhappy with their deaths, but uh, have been sudden, bloody, and mysterious. Yet... Uh, may we shudder ourselves in the infinite goodness of the providence, which would uh, not forever punish the innocent beyond that third of the fourth generation, which is threatened by the Holy Wit. Oh, to the providence, my sons, I hereby command you, that I counsel you, by the way of caution, to forbear from crossing the moor in those dark hours when the powers of evil are exalted. 
This from Hugo Baskerville to his sons Roger and John with instructions that they say nothing thereof to their sister Elizabeth. That was in parentheses, so I imagine I was supposed to whisper that to you, dear listener. With Dr. Mortimer, I had finished reading this singular narrative. He pushed his spectacles up on his forehead uh, and stared across at Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Oh, the latter yawned. Oh, nothing impresses this asshole. And tossed the end of his cigarette into the fire. Well, said he, uh, do, you, do you not find it interesting? Uh, to a collector of fairy tales... Dr. Mortimer drew a folded newspaper out of his pocket. Now, Mr. Holmes, uh, we will give you something a little more recent. This is the Devon County Chronicle of May 14th of this year. It is a short account of the facts elicited at the death of Sir Charles Baskerville, which occurred a few days before that date. My friend leaned a little forward, and his expression became intent. Oh, so now he's not such a jerk anymore. Our visitor readjusted his glasses and began... The recent sudden death of Sir Charles Baskerville, whose name has been mentioned in the probable liberal candidate for the Mid-Devon at the next election, has cast a gloom over the county. Although Sir Charles had resided at Baskerville Hall for a comparatively short period, his amiability of character and extreme generosity had won the affection respect of all who had been brought into contact with him. In these days of nouveau riches, uh, it is refreshing to find a case where a scion of an old country family had, uh, had fallen upon the evil days, is uh, able to make his own fortune and bring it back with him to restore the fallen grandeur of his line. Oh, sure, Charles, as was well known, made large sums of money in South African speculation, uh, more wise than those who go on until the wheel turns against them. He realized his gains and returned to England with them. It is only two years since he took up his residence at Baskerville Hall. It is common talk how large uh, were those schemes of reconstruction and improvement which had been uh, interrupted by his death. Hmm. Being himself childless, it is his openly expressed desire that the whole countryside should, within its own lifetime, profit by his good fortune, and many will have personal reasons for bewailing its untimely end. His generous donations to local and county charities have been frequently chronicled in these columns. The circumstances connected with the death of Sir Charles cannot be said to have been entirely cleared up by the inquest, uh, but eh, at least enough has been done uh, to dispose of those rumors with which the local superstition has given rise. Duh, there's no reason wherever to suspect foul play or to imagine that death could be from any, uh, any but natural causes. Uh, Sir Charles was a widower, and a man who may be said to have been in some ways of an eccentric havoc of mind, and in spite of his considerable wealth, he was a simple in his personal tastes, and his indoor servants at Baskerville Hall consisted of a, of a married couple named Barrymore, and the husband acting as a butler, and the wife as a housekeeper. Their evidence, corroborated by that of several friends, tends to show that Sir Charles hath... Health has for some time been impaired, and points especially to some affection of his heart, manifesting itself in changes of color. It's just color, but it's got a U in it, and I love messing that up. Breathlessness and acute attacks of nervous depression. Dr. James Mortimer, the friend and medical attendant of the deceased, has given evidence to the same effect. The facts of the case are simple. Oh, good, they're finally getting to the point. Sir Charles Baskerville was in the habit every night before going to bed of walking down uh, the famous U Alley of Baskerville Hall. The evidence of the Barrymore shows that this had been uh, his custom, and on the 4th of May, Sir Charles had declared his intention of starting next day for London and had ordered Barrymore to prepare his luggage. That night, 
he went out, as usual, for his nocturnal walk, and in the course of which he was uh, in the habit of, of smoking a cigar, <laughs> and he never returned. At 12 o'clock, Barrymore, finding the hall door still open, became alarmed and lighting a lantern, uh, went in search of his master. On the day, it had been wet, <laughs> and Sir Charles' footmarks were easily traced down the alley. Halfway down his walk, there was a gate which leads out on the moor. There were in- indications that Sir Charles had stood for some little time here, and then he proceeded down the alley, and it was at the far end of it that his body was discovered. One fact which was not been explained is the statement of Barrymore's his master's footprints altered their character from the time they had passed the moor gate, and he appeared from thence onward to have been t- uh, walking upon his toes. One, Murphy, uh, a gypsy horse dealer, oh, that's offensive now, was on a moor at no great distance at the time, but he appears by his own confession to have been the worse for drink. He declares that he heard cries, but is unable to state from what direction they came. No signs of violence were to be discovered upon Sir Charles's person, and though the doctor's evidence pointed to an almost incredible facial distortion, so great that Dr. Mortimer refused at first to believe that it was indeed his friend and patient who lay before him, uh, is explained that that, that's two that's in a row, is a symptom which is not unusual in cases of uh, dysphonia. Oh, boy. Let's see if I can figure out how to pronounce that one. Uh, dis, dysnoia. All right, fine. Look, I'm not the brightest man. I don't even know why I have a podcast where I read things. It's not like I know what I'm even reading. 20% of this book is all I understand. And the death from cardiac exhaustion. This explanation was borne out by the post-mortem examination, which showed long-standing organic disease, and the coroner's jury uh, returned a verdict in accordance with the medical evidence. Oh, it's well uh, that this is so, for it is obviously of the utmost importance that Sir Charles's heir should settle at the hall and continue the good, good work which has been so sadly interrupted. Had the prosaic finding, I was going to say Prozac, man, that'd be cool if they got ahead of that, Uh, finding of the coroner had not finally put an end to the romantic stories which had been whispered in connection with the affair. Oh, it might have been difficult uh, to find a tenant for Baskerville Hall. Uh, It was understood that the next of kin is Mr. Henry Baskerville. And if he is, uh, if he still be alive, the son of Charles Baskerville's younger brother, the young man, when last heard of, was in America and inquiries are being instituted with a view of informing him of his good, good fortune. Dr. Mortimer refolded his paper and placed it in his pocket. These are the public facts, Mr. Holmes, in connection with the death of Sir Charles Baskerville. I must thank you, said Sherlock Holmes, for calling my attention to a case which certainly presents some features of interest. I had observed some newspaper comment at the time, but I was exceedingly preoccupied by the little affair of the, the Vatican Cameos, all right. And in my anxiety to oblige the Pope, I lost touch with several interesting English cases. Oh, so here it goes. Yeah, 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 I heard about it. I'm too busy hanging with the Pope where he's thanking me for helping him. What a jerk. Who talks like that? Uh, This article, you say, contains all the public facts? It does. Then let me have the private ones. He leaned back, put his fingertips together like a douchebag, and then assumed his most impassive and judicial expression. In doing so, said Dr. Mortimer, who had begun to show signs of some strong emotion, I am telling that which I have not confided to 
anyone. My motive for withholding it from the coroner's inquiry is that a man of science shrinks from placing himself in the public position of seeming to endorse a popular superstition. I had the further motive that Baskerville Hall, as the paper says, would certainly remain unattended if anything were done to increase its already rather grim reputation. For both these reasons, I thought that I had been justified in telling rather less than I knew. Since no practical good could result from it, but with you, there is no reason why I should not be perfectly frank. The moor is very sparsely inhabited, and those who live near each other are thrown very much together. For this reason, I saw a good deal of Sir Charles Baskerville, with the exception of uh, Mr. Frankland, uh, of, of Laughter Hall, and uh, that'd be a fun place to hang out, and Mr. Stapleton, the naturalist, where there are no other men of education within many miles. Naturalist, I wonder what it meant back then. He's just like a nudist, just like, I don't know, eats a lot of like fruits and vegetables and just doesn't wear clothes because I'm natural. Sir Charles was a retiring man, but the chance of his illness brought us together, and a community of interests in science kept us so. He had brought back much scientific information from South Africa, and uh, many a charming evening we have spent together discussing the comparative anatomy of the Bushman and the Hottentot. Uh, what is a Hottentot? I've heard that term before. Used to refer to Koikoli people. Uh, origin Afrikaans. Okay, well, that didn't really answer much for me, but and I also just probably offended more people by mispronouncing everything. Within the last few months, it became increasingly plain to me that Sir Charles' nervous system was strained to the breaking point. His nervous system. <laughs> to the breaking point. He had taken the legend which I have read you exceedingly to heart. So much so uh, that although he would walk on his own grounds, nothing would induce him to go out upon the moor at night. Incredible as it may appear to you, uh, Mr. Holmes, he was honestly convinced that a dreadful fate overhung his family, and certainly that the records which he was able to uh, give of his ancestors were not encouraging. The idea of some ghastly presence constantly haunted him. Oh, and on more than one occasion, he was asked me whether I had uh, on my, my medical journeys at night ever seen any strange creature or heard the baying of the hound. The latter question he put to me several times and always with a voice which reverberated with excitement. I could well remember driving up to his house in the evening some three weeks before the fatal event. Oh, he chanced to be at his hall door and I descended from my gig and was standing in front of him and I saw his eyes fix themselves on my shoulder and stare past me with an, uh, with an expression of the most uh, dreadful horror and I, I whisked round and just time to catch a glimpse of something which I took to be a large black calf passing at the, the head of the drive. So excited and alarmed was he that I was compelled to go down to the spot where the animal had been and look around for it. It was gone, however, and the, uh, the incident appeared to make the worst impression upon his mind. Oh, I stayed with him all evening. And it was on that occasion to explain the emotion which he had shown that he, uh, that he confided to my keeping that narrative which I read to you when I first came. I mentioned the small episode because it assumed some importance in view of the tragedy which followed, but I was convinced at the time that the matter was entirely trivial and that his excitement had no justification. It was just my advice that Sir Charles was about to go to uh, London. His heart was, I knew, affected. And the constant anxiety in which he lived, however, uh, 
chimerical uh, was the cause might be, and evidently having a serious effect upon his health, I uh, thought that a few months among the distractions of town uh, would send him back to, a, uh, to be a new man. Mr. Stapleton, a mutual friend who was much concerned at his state of health, uh, was of the same opinion. Uh, at the last instant came the terrible catastrophe. On the night of Sir Charles's death, uh, Barrymore the butler, <laughs> uh, who made the discovery, sent Perkins, the groom, on horseback to me. And as I was uh, sitting up late and I was able to reach Baskerville Hall within an hour of the event, I checked uh, and corroborated all the facts which were mentioned at the inquest. I, I, I followed the footsteps uh, down the U Alley and I saw the spot at the same moor gate where he seemed to have waited. I remarked the change in the shape of the prince after that point, and I noted that there were no other footsteps save those of Barrymore on the soft gravel. And finally, I carefully examined the body, which had uh, not been touched uh, until my arrival, and then he touched it all over, ruining the evidence. Sir Charles lay on his face, his arms out, uh, his fingers dug into the ground, and his features convulsed with some uh, strong emotion, such as an extent uh, that I could hardly have sworn to his identity. There was certainly no physical injury of any kind, but uh, one false statement was made by Barrymore at the inquest. He said that there were no traces upon the ground round his body, uh, but he did not observe any. But I did, some little distance off, but fresh and clear. Footprints? Ah, footprints. A man or a woman's? Dr. Mortimer looked strangely at us for an instant and his voice sank almost to a whisper as he answered, Mr. Holmes, they were the footprints of a gigantic hound. Well, that was a lot of fun. With that, uh, why don't we go back to the, uh, the smoking room and we can uh, discuss what the hell we just read. Ah, there you are. Why don't you come on down and take a seat? Uh, oh, I don't know. Take a cigar from the box. I love this bit. This is a fun little bit. Kind of gives you a little imagery to deal with. And it's soothing in some way. Uh, oh, over there is a pipe. You can fill it with tobacco and smoke a pipe. All right. Or vape. I don't know. Whatever the hell you want. We got to review this book. What happened in these two chapters? Uh, first chapter, Sherlock Holmes, who Doyle has killed him off, and then ten years later by public demand, everyone's like, bring him back, bring him back. And having no sense of, uh, I don't know, self-worth, he gives the people what they want instead of sticking to his guns. And so, uh, Sherlock Holmes is back in a prequel. That's probably the best way to go about it. Why not? It's gonna be ridiculous. It's weird enough that he's got uh, Moriarty, his arch enemy. It becomes like a superhero movie at this point. Anyways, uh, so he brings back his prequel. That's great. Uh, it's him being a dick. I haven't, I don't remember the Sherlock Holmes stories I've read in the past, but uh, I can't remember if Sherlock Holmes was always this much of an arrogant asshole, or if it's just because he had to basically write about this character again when he was just sick of writing about him. So he just makes Sherlock Holmes just an unlovable prick. Oh, Watson, what do you think this stick came from? Watson does his best, and he goes, Oh, Watson, you inspire me, and does all this flattering stuff that makes Watson feel good for the first time. And he goes, Oh, don't get too comfortable with these compliments, Watson. Uh, your little rosy cheeks and your, your fingers sitting there giggling and tickling each other. Just uh, back off. Actually, I'm saying your stupidity inspires me to be smarter, <laughs> which is just horrible. 
And then it turns out he's got all these like bizarre conclusions he comes to to find out who the man is. And then even when the man shows up and he's supposed to be wrong about one of the facts, like why he got the cane, turns out he's actually right anyways. I don't know. It's annoying. So that was pretty much the end of that. And in chapter two, uh, the man reads this letter, which, of course, uh, Holmes is uh, already says, oh, I already saw a little bit of that thing. That letter is uh, from the 1740s or whatever. And he's like, oh, you're a genius. Because it's ridiculous. How do you look at a piece of paper? Like, oh, that looks uh, kind of yellow, uh, even more yellow. I'm thinking 1740s. But in reality, it could have just been in the sun a lot or somebody peed on it. There's a, bill- there's a ton of reasons why paper looks the way it looks. You can't just... All right... I don't like this character. <laughs> so anyways, the guy's telling his story and Holmes is being a dick through the whole thing, not interested, doing the weird hands, creating a power triangle in front of his face. And then uh, and then finally he says, oh, but there's a recent murder. And then like a weirdo, he gets excited because God, he loves murders. Who knows what's driving that motivation? I don't want to know inside the mind of this horrible character. So as you can tell, I don't like this book. I do like this book. I've actually read this before. It's a very good book. So what's good? Uh, later on, it gets good. Right now, you're just reading about an arrogant pile of shit uh, who's just showing off all the time in front of people. Uh, what sucks? The arrogant ch- uh, pile of shit showing off in front of people all the time. What do we learn? You should never placate somebody like that. There's cultures uh, in other countries where if someone gets too big for their britches or they do something that they really want to brag about, the rest of the community kind of puts them down and downplays their successes because it keeps them humble and not so goddamn annoying. No one's doing that to this guy. Oh, they just keep just just loving him up, just touching him. Just please, please be better. We love it. And it just feeds into this character. Anyways, uh, you can tell I'm fussy. I've had a long day. Uh, so with that, I'm going to uh, wrap this up and I will record one, I don't know, later. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from the Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left.